No, I, I don't understand the folks folks thing. It's like F-O-L-X. It's like the, because the K-S is apparently racist and colonial now. So you have to replace that with an S or with an X. I don't get it. No, I, no, think I, I really don't get it. I don't understand the X. Like what, could explain it to me? Because I think I really it's because the X allows it to be singular. S means it's plural, but this way you can have folks. It means only one person. When they're talking about like, what about why can't you identify as singular? Actually, I just wonder X isn't uh, more offensive now with the Elon Musk rebranding. You'd think they'd want to like purge X from the the dictionary. That's an excellent point. <laughs> excellent, but even like they'll say trans folks. So trans folks with an X can just be referring to one person. Is that is that it? Is that actually it? Why not? I really don't get. We'll it. do a deep dive next week, uh, an investigative feature into the colonialism of chaos. <laughs> we will we'll get an expert. I'm sure there's an expert out there. An expert. Expert. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining in and listening to Off the Record, our newest podcast here at True North. Don't forget to like this video if you're new around here. Please subscribe to our True channel. If you're listening to this podcast, don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the content. And finally, head on over to our website, tnc.news, to sign up for a newsletter so you never miss a story. So, Andrew, I think you were at this press conference on Wednesday with Pierre Polyev. He was out in Kitchener, Ontario. I think that the purpose of the press conference was to talk about the rising cost of living and how a Polyev government uh, would be different. Uh, but really, just like every answer he gave at that press conference, he was on fire. It was like, it was really exciting to see Pierre Polyev just... I don't know, answering questions in an honest, sincere way and just knocking one out after another. So let's uh, let's play this first clip of Pierre Polyev talking about how he believes that female spaces should be exclusively for females. Now, this this seems earth shattering uh, in Canadian politics. Really, this is just a view that every single person in the world held about five minutes ago before we all got uh, taken over by this crazy trans ideology. But uh, let's let's play this clip from Pierre Polyev. My question, sir, is should you form the next federal government, will you make female safe spaces safe again by introducing legislation that bans so-called transgender women from participating in female sports and getting access into female shelters and female prisons? Female spaces should be exclusively for females, uh, not for biological males. Um, the you ask if I introduce legislation on that. A lot of the spaces you described are provincially and municipally controlled. So it is unclear what federal legislation would, what would reach federal legislation would have to change them. But obviously, uh, female sports, female change rooms, female bathrooms should be for females, not for biological males. So Pierre Polyev giving the correct answer there. and. Pardon me, folks. I uh, pardon my manners. I forgot to introduce our guest today, which is Hamish Marshall. We're usually joined by Harrison Faulkner. He's down at CPAC in Washington, D.C. this week. I was away last week. I was on a Disney cruise with my family. So we had Swan Levy filling in last week for me. And this week we have Hamish uh, filling in for Harrison. And I think you're going to be gone next week, Andrew. So we'll have to find someone. Yeah. Actually, I think I was filling in for you. And Sue Ann, oh, right. I guess, was filling in for um, me. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> I actually don't know. Hamish, Hamish might even be filling in for me right now. We'll see. I'm just going to do all three parts from now on. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you, you, uh, audience should know Hamish well. He was our in-house pollster uh, during the last federal election. Hopefully, we'll have you back to do that again during the next election, Hamish. But he is a conservative insider, and he has had a lot of fancy jobs inside the conservative party. I'll just leave it as that. So, uh, anyway, what, what, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you folks think of uh, Pierre Polyev standing up for females in um, female spaces? Andrew, I'll go to you first. I, it's funny. I, I kind of am of the mind now, and Hamish probably will know this because he's on the other side of it, that I kind of get annoyed that there's not really a lot of news at press conferences. You know, the idea that you're just going to ask a question and you're going to just draw something earth shattering out of a politician is, is pretty rare. Every now and then you get lucky. Like I remember in the 2021 election when I just asked Aaron O'Toole at a press conference if the Canadian flag, which had been at half mass for you know forever, should go back up. And he said yes. And that was the only real news story here. So I was kind of surprised because uh, the question was asked by David Menzies of Rebel News. And he had told me ahead of time because we were just sort of making sure that you know we weren't covering the same ground and he was going to ask that and i'm like oh yeah 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 whatever like i just didn't think there was going to be that and then he comes out with the money quote that then was like the story everywhere in legacy media and independent media all day and i i've got to say it, it was a very interesting move because i think a lot of the time people and i've been in this category of kind of worried that pierre polyev was being too cautious on these issues uh, parental rights stuff he's often been very delayed in saying that he supports these things uh, when danielle smith came out with the policy he was again a lot more uh, quiet at first about it then he said he'd supported it but this is i mean outflanking what any provincial premier has really said on this. And, and it really is putting him in line with where conservative members said they were back in the fall when they voted in favor of a motion, effectively saying what Polyev said on Wednesday. What's your take, Hamish? Yeah, I mean, I think I look, first of all, I think he's speaking common sense. And I think, uh, you know, Pierre has realized that, you know, one of his, his brand out there is common sense, he's talking about common sense government. And so he's got to, he's, he, when given the opportunity to say common sense things, he takes them, right? And I think that's what we saw today. Uh, what he said, to your point earlier, Candace, wasn't controversial, you know, like yesterday, but somehow, uh, it, you know, everything is now controversial. Um, so everything he says makes good sense. And I think, I think honestly, also the thing that's happened is that we've seen uh, the reaction uh, to uh, the, the laws that uh, Premier Smith has proposed in Alberta and that Albertans and Canadians are broadly uh, supportive of, of what uh, what she's proposing, and that the uh, center ground in Canada, in Canada on this on these issues is not where uh, the Toronto Star and Twitter think it is. Well, it's so refreshing that Polyev has come to this conclusion because I know under previous leaders in this party, uh, the safe thing is 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 the sort of you know perspective that you're going to get especially now because you know pierre polyev won the conservative leadership race in a landslide he has the party already like like the base of the conservative party is going to vote for this guy no matter what so he doesn't have to doesn't have to take risks when it comes to social issues uh but the fact that he is i think is a good sign because he, he obviously has a very good sense of the country. He understands that the sort of medium voter or, you know, the, 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 the common sense perspective. And so the fact that he feels em emboldened to, to speak about this stuff is very refreshing. Um, and, Andrew, you had another, um, you, 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 you had to, a, Yeah, but before we go to that, I just wanted to jump in on that point because I, I actually don't agree that 
the conservative base can be relied on to always vote for the conservative leader. And I, I think that that was the big problem we saw with uh, Aaron O'Toole. And I, to some extent, and no offense to com- present company, I think to Andrew Shear's campaign is that there's an expectation that, okay, we've already got our base. We don't need to do anything to keep them on side. And I, I think there's really no comparison between Shear and O'Toole on, on the top line of that. But O'Toole really took his own party's base for granted. And it's no surprise that we saw the PPC triple its vote share from 2019 to 2021 because there was another party presenting itself as an alternative to that. So I, I think, well, you know, Pierre Polyev is a lot more popular than O'Toole as a conservative leader. And, and I think the Canadians, there is something that he is telling his side. No, 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 I haven't forgotten about you. And I, I think it's been refreshing how consistent he's been from leadership to leadership race to post leadership race, because that's a pivot that oftentimes is not smooth for uh, for conservative leaders. You're absolutely right. And when when I said that that the the base is going to vote for Pierre, I, I didn't mean that the base is going to vote for any old conservative mm-hmm. leader because I, I don't think that's right. But I think that Pierre has done enough at this point to earn the the respect and credibility of the base that. He, he didn't have to come out and say female spaces are for females only, even though it's like the obvious thing. Uh, I, I just mean like generally just like what he's done or the past. But I think you're right. I think that the that the very presence of, of Maxime Bernier and the opposition party means that conservatives have to be conservatives a little more. If, if nothing else, uh, Maxime Bernier uh, does a great service uh, in that in that way. Hamish, do you want any any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I think broadly speaking, you're right. I think Pierre understands that you have to do things to keep the base engaged. The most important thing I think in politics that's underrated isn't who people vote for, it's who decides to stay home or vote whatsoever. There's lots of people, and we saw this in in the uh, 2021 campaign with with O'Toole, there's lots of conservatives who who didn't vote for the PPC, but just didn't vote because they were turned off by it. And the biggest threat is, you know, while Trudeau is desperately unpopular, the reason people have to be motivated to come out and vote. And if you do give people nothing, they might say, well, I really hate Trudeau and some of them will come and vote, but not maybe not all of them or not all of them in, in all the writings that you need. So I think, you know, doing things to keep keep conservatives fired up is a is, is a really good strategy because you want those people fired up and making sure they go and actually vote uh, whenever the selection rolls around. Another great point. OK, uh, in that press conference. I mean, uh, like I said, Pierre Polly was on fire on Wednesday morning and he gave us a lot. I, I think he did an entire show, Andrew, on the response that he gave. And you could see he was just kind of like warming up and, and getting like hotter and hotter and hotter in terms of like where he was going. But one of the other things he mentioned uh, rather briefly, but he still mentioned it, was talking about this this new story about Pornhub. So Pornhub is a big, I, th- I think it's the biggest porn distributor on, on, the, on the internet. And it's a Montreal-based company that does it. And basically, they're considering pulling the plug on their Canadian access. Uh, I think this is similar to the way that uh, Facebook has has pulled access to news because they don't like the government meddling. And they said, you know, it's easier for us to just turn the switch off completely. And uh, to that, uh, Jordan Peterson responded um, to to that news story. Jordan Peterson responded just saying that Pornhub is run by and serves scum. I'm not sure if he was talking about because they would dare to take porn access away from Canadians. I'm, I'm presuming that that's not what he meant. And what he <laughs> meant was that it's run by and serve scum because he doesn't agree with porn uh, from a moral perspective. Anyway, I just bring it up because uh, Pierre Polly have also commented on this. Uh, Andrew, why don't you uh, let us know what, what did, what did Pierre say uh, about this topic? He said, yes. 
said yes. <laughs> that was his answer. Yes. The the question, it was from the Canadian press. They asked if a, a conservative government under Polyev would uh, basically require age age based verification to access online porn. I mean, technically, I think on these sites, they like they probably have in their terms of service that you need to be 18. But there really isn't a mechanism to verify this. So there's a, a Senate bill that's been getting a lot of discussion on this that would effectively require you to verify your age with the, these porn providers, Pornhub being one of the biggest ones. And uh, he was asked if, if he supported such a thing, and, and he just said yes. Now, this is where uh, I, I get into very dicey territory, because on one hand, you know, I'm, I'm totally on board with the arguments that online porn is a moral harm. You look at the, the effect it has on, on young people in particular, I'd say on, on a lot of people, but on young people, uh, on young girls who are, you know, forced to live up to these, you know, things that their, you know, boyfriends in high school are, are seeing. You have people that are accessing this as young as like nine and 10 years old now it's it's horrific and but then you get to the other side of it which is well, the not mechanism. to mention the young men that get addicted to it and yeah and cripples their life yeah. because they get physically addicted to you know everything about the website is is so based on an algorithm that traps you in there and it just like yeah. destroys these young men's lives so yeah anyway. it's like anyone who's ever been sucked into like watching youtube clips for hours and hours but you know worse and the thing that you see then is though is that the arguments in favor of this age-based verification to keep minors away they're, they're going to butt up against uh, privacy concerns because all of a sudden you now have to according to some mechanisms of doing this you know provide your identification to a site that is uh, basically proliferating online porn and i don't trust any of these companies with with people's data i don't trust uh government to maintain some registry that's going to uh work with these companies and and let's be real i think that this is something that is morally harmful but i think it is a byproduct of a free society porn is the uh unfortunate but inevitable consequence of free speech so i've yet to see a proposal for how to do this thing that doesn't create issues that I think are bigger than the one they're trying to solve. Yeah, and I, and I think I, I, I could, I'm pretty sure that Pornhub was the one that was implicated in this, that a lot of the problems with them that I think Dr. Peterson was referring to is uh, a lot of user uploaded content of minors was, was, was appearing on the site and people were using it for things that may or may not have been criminal, to watch things that may or may not be criminal acts. And they were very slow to take it down and people were putting up you know, revenge porn and all this sort of thing was happening. And, and Pornhub was like, oh, I don't know if we can do too much about this. And we're working on it, but nothing would ever come down. And the, the danger, of course, and all of these things, and this is always the argument of regulation, and there is no easy answer, is if, you know, a company like this that exists, that has servers in Montreal, that presumably the Canadian government can uh, interact with, it has uh, has uh, come, has um, goes down, other providers will flood the space that perhaps are based on servers in, you know, God knows where that the Canadian government can't deal with and there's no requirements for and the situation just gets gets worse. I don't think there's an easy answer to this, um, you know, some sort of age requirement. We're also seeing this everywhere. I mean, there's a whole bunch of American states that are talking about age requirements uh, and how that um, uh, manifests. I think, well, I think there could be an opportunity for a new standard that evolves across chunks of the Western world. But uh, it's not going to be solved just in Canada, just with this. You, you two are both far too practical. Okay, you just need to ban it. Just ban it all. Get rid of it all. Just throw it away. We tried it. We tried the whole liberal thing where people could use porn and access websites. Destroyed an entire generation. They're not having sex anymore. They're not getting married. They're not having children. Let's just throw it out. Ban it. 
try something else. And the libertarian trump card to that argument, my wonderful and intelligent friend Candace, is that uh, if you give government license to ban things outright that it sees as harmful, all of a sudden you're licensing the next government to ban things that we would argue are not harmful. All of a sudden they're going after our online speech, which, by the way, the liberals are doing in the same legislation. So that's the problem here, is that when government gets to regulate harm, it also gets to decide what harm is. No, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, sometimes you just take a step back and you look at so many of the things in our society that are just absolutely detrimental that don't have any upsides. It's like, you know, the, 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 this is a really sad, tragic story, but the son of the CEO of YouTube died of an overdose. He was a student, 19-year-old student at Berkeley, and the drug that he was consuming that he died of an overdose was, was weed. He smoked a joint. It was laced with fentanyl, fentanyl and he's dead now. And it's like, you just have to imagine, like, like in what world, as a society, are we just okay with, like, kids dying and, like, taking fentanyl because we decided that weed was okay? It's like, there's there's some things in society that are just bad. And I, I know, like, even an earlier me would have been like, no, drugs are fine and whatever. If someone wants to put something in their own body, they can. But it's like, we're, we're at a stage now where there's just so many externalities, there's so much uncertainty. You don't know like what has fentanyl in it. You're saying to the kids like it's fine to smoke a joint. It probably is, but not if it has fentanyl in that case, the young man is dead. And it, it's just it's just tragic. There's there's so many things in our society that, you know, we've we've allowed and, and, and defended in terms of liberty, even as conservatives that we personally don't agree with. And I, th I think maybe it's getting a time where conservatives just need to like take a more moral stance and say like these things are wrong they're bad fine you can have them but we oppose them and we're going to do everything we can to stop them you know look i'm a conservative not a libertarian so my instinct is very much along your lines candace and you know i think uh we look, we've always lived in a society where certain un unhealthy things have been banned you know a complete libertarian free-for-all i mean you can move to somalia and have that if you want but count me out um, uh, you know, I, I think that we, you know, we obviously have to ban things. The problem is, is that, you know, I also just admit that realize that we live in an imperfect world and we're never going to actually get to a perfect world. So it's about having a medium between what works and most of all, that when we change things like this, we do it slowly and in a considered fashion and not all at once. And that's what scares me, frankly, about both, um, uh, you know, the, the lefty sort of year zero folks who want to say, well, we'll change everything, rip everything up. Uh, and frankly, some libertarians that are along the same ways that say, well, all government things must be destroyed immediately. Uh, you know, I'm skeptical of big government, too, but I'm more, most in favor of let's take small steps, especially when it comes to the harm of children. And let's make let's let's be let's be let's be more cautious than than we should be uh, to get this as not never perfect but as close to right to balance those things out as, as we can. Yeah, I mean, look, the idea of creating a regulatory regime that makes Pornhub say, you know what, we're just going to pull out of Canada, I, I think, okay, great. But, you know, we railed against the same thing happening with news when it came to Facebook. And, and I would argue that uh, probably some of the things masquerading as news are probably just as bad for you as what's on Pornhub, uh, depending on the outlet. But the point that I, I would raise on, on this is that we talk a lot about parental rights, and that's been a, a big issue for True North. It's been one we, we talked about a little earlier on the show. There are also parental responsibilities. And I, I think there needs to be a call to action for parents here to be a lot more aware 
of what these sites are, of the harms of them. And I, I know that it's a perennial problem that uh, kids will always outsmart their parents on technology. So whatever, you know, parental blockers and controls you have when when kids get a cell phone, I mean, it's basically like you're just putting, you know, throwing caution to the wind. So I, I think that this is a big issue, though. And I, I think that you know, the civil society approach that I would advocate is one in which parents are equipped with the tools they need, both technical and moral, to actually have these conversations and do what they need to in the homes. Because frankly, I trust that far more than I, I trust whatever government legislation is going to achieve on this. You're, you're both far too practical. But no, Andrew, I completely agree with you. Like, even just looking around, you, know, you go out for dinner these days, and you just notice that like families are sitting at the table, and they're all on their cell phones. Mm -hmm. I notice this so often that it'll be like mom and a dad on their phone, two kids with like headphones on and on the iPads and everyone's just like independently like staring at their screens. And well, now, I, now it's going to be Apple Vision Pro. Everyone will just go out for dinner and they'll all be just like watching movies and their goggles at the, the dinner table. <laughs> my husband brought one of those things home. I'm like, I don't even want to try it. But yeah, like the whole augmented. But it's like I, th I think a lot of times parents give their kids devices and screens because it's kind of like easier and it's just like here take this and you're right like you have no idea what they're doing like you, you put them on youtube kids and like three videos later they're watching some creepy video of like adults playing with barbies and it's like what <laughs> like i th i think i think you're what right, is parents. your tube algorithm your your tube algorithm yeah, saying i haven't I seen those haven't run into that one yet uh, that, that, that's not even my story that's like a story that i saw someone else talking okay. about but but no it's like it's just you, yeah you once once they're once they're on that you know, black hole device, you, you don't really know. And parents need to take a much more uh, <laughs> instructive role. Okay, let's let's hop back to the political world because I, I did want to, I, I came across this video and I really respect, I have tremendous respect for Dr. Jordan Peterson. Uh, although sometimes he talks about Canadian politics and I think he's just wrong. So here's one of those instances. I'm going to play this clip and I'll get everyone to react. So this is Jordan Peterson predicting uh, the future of Canadian politics. And just note, um, how sure he is that this is what's going to happen. So let's let's play this clip. The biggest fear I have right now for the country is that Trudeau will hang on for another year because getting rid of that man is like trying to get a fly out of sticky paper. <laughs> yeah, with all the mess that would entail. <laughs> and uh, then Pierre Polyev will be elected. And then we'll find out just how bad things are. And that'll be dumped on his shoulders and his government will fail because of the cataclysm that he's inherited. The conservatives will have a one term shot at it. And then like Mark Carney will be the new prime minister of Canada. That's the most, like my most likely outcome. And by that time, Canadians will make 40% of what Americans make instead of oh. the 60% they make now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's rough and likely. Okay, so let's just go through the claims here. I think he's partially right. You know, Trudeau will hold on to a, uh, power for another year. That's probably right. Uh, Pierre will win the next election. I think that that's the way that we are headed. Uh, and then at that point, we will discover the mess, the true mess, because you don't really know from the outside. You don't know how bad the numbers are. And that is true. So he thinks that Polyev will get elected, realize the huge mess, and that that will lead his government to fail and that he'll have one term, and then we'll have Mark Carney. I, I don't think that that will happen. I think that typically in Canada, governments are elected for a decade or a generation, and that Canadians would rather have the devil they know. So once the Conservatives are in power, the Conservatives will stay in power, and that Pierre will have more than just like a 
four-year term to, to try to fix things and turn the country around. And I, and I don't see anything compelling about Mark Carney. I think sometimes like elites see fellow elites and say like, wow, look at their credentials. Wow, he went to Harvard. He's definitely going to be prime minister. And it's like, uh, no, there's one country out there that doesn't like this sort of banker elite Harvard type. And that's like a really hard type to get elected. So I, I think that, that that's where Peterson's prediction falls apart. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, go over to you, Hamish. What do you, what do you think of Dr. Peterson there? Yeah, I mean, I look, I think I think predicting the future is always, when it comes to politics is really, really dangerous, especially because everybody assumes the patterns that exist today will continue to, to exist, right? I remember people saying exactly the same thing in the lead up to Stephen Harper getting elected in 2006. Harper will win one term and win a minority. He'll be in for two or three years. Liberals will be back forever. Harper was in power for nine and a half years, right? Um, and ended up continue winning more and more seats in every election until he won a majority. Um, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that what's what the most interesting thing is happening right now is that the dynamic in Canadian politics is changing. The conservative vote is beginning younger and younger and younger. Uh, conservatives aren't doing as well uh, with people over 65 as they had previously as, 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 as voters are, are uh, younger voters are coming on board. Conservatives have been in some polls have been leading women under 35, which has never happened in my lifetime. And a different coalition is being built. And the one thing you'll say when different coalitions are built, and whether that's, you know, in Canada, the reform, emergence of the reform and block, when party systems begin to change, as things really change. And where that will lead, you know, in, in five or 10 years is extremely difficult to say. But right now, if the polling continues, you know, uh, Pierre is going to win a majority government, which is fantastic. I think that in many ways, Keynes will be looking for something very, very different from Trudeau. And I think they'll be, they'll be, uh, expecting a, a style of leadership very different from Trudeau. The Liberals are going to be in disarray. The thing that, that we all forget, and this matters so much in parties, is the Liberal Party as it exists right now is so much the creation of Trudeau after he re rebuilt it after he became leader in 2013, that you know very few of their MPs have any experience before Trudeau. They're going to become this weird Trudeau tribute act, incapable of doing something different, which I don't think will sell in the future. We'll see where it goes, but I have no reason to be, maybe I'm just more uh, optimistic than, than, than Jordan Peterson, but I have no reason to be as pessimistic as that. And I think we've got the chance of, you know, a, a good decade of conservative transformational rule and hopefully a real realignment of the Canadian political system that uh, puts conservatives uh, more on the upper hand more often. Well, and even just, I'll, I'll go to you in a second, Andrew, but even just that claim that Canadians will be 40% as rich as Americans and that we're 60% as rich now. I, I, I mean, again, I look back to Harper when Canadians had the richest middle class in the world and the New York Times was touting it and the average Canadian made more than the average American. Like that wasn't that long ago. And that's not that far out of reach. And I don't think that Pierre has like magical powers to fix the economy and we're in pretty rough shape right now. But I do think that like solid free market economic framework can do wonders um, for, for, for government. And Canada's government is small and nimble enough relative to the United States that you can make changes that can have an impact. Uh, Andrew, what's your perspective on all this? Yeah, just on the, the predictive aspect itself, I think that intellectuals make bad pundits and pundits make bad intellectuals. So I, I think that Jordan Peterson, who I, I've got a lot of respect for, anytime he's pulled into a pundit role, which happens often because I think people look at him as this sort of oracle that knows everything. I, I find it it's his weakest material uh, because, you, you know, there are realities that are just different from 
the intellectual realm. And it's not to say he, he can't observe those things, but I, I don't think that's a strong suit. So I think the reasons you mentioned about Mark Carney, like this was the same attitude that led to Michael Ignatieff, who was one of the most dismal liberal leaders in, well, I'd say okay. the most dismal yes. in, in recent memory. So it ever, John, ever. Yeah. And it's the John Kerry thing uh, where, you know, like I remember one of the stories that I, it comes out of the 2004 was when John Kerry's wife was in a, I think it was a Wendy's or something for a photo op. And she asked her aide, what's chili? Like these people just exist in a completely different realm. And you're right. The elites love them because they're, they're in that crowd, but they're the types of candidates that you could ask them, like, how much does milk cost? And they would just have no idea whatsoever because they don't do their own grocery shopping. They're not in that world. So that's not to say the liberals wouldn't love Mark Carney, but the idea that Mark Carney is going to unseat Pierre Polyev, who has a very specific agenda. I mean, I see Pierre Polyev as being Mike Harris 2.0 in a lot of ways, in terms of going in with a very ambitious agenda, delivering on it very quickly. Um, and Mike Harris, I mean, obviously had a, a rockier second term, but he wasn't just a one-term premier. So that would be my prediction. But as Hamish mentions, you you can't, the, the future is is not entirely based on the world as it is right now. It's based on whatever happens in the next, I, I'd say, six years, you know, a year and a half to an election and then a four-year term beyond that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I, I, yeah, you have to have faith in Pierre that he is going to get into office. He's going to appoint the right people. He's going to have the right team in place. And again, I think that there's such a big power of the incumbent, like who, who, whoever's in power that's, you know, c c Canadians will, will put their trust in, in that. And, you know, it's interesting because in, historically it's sort of been the media that have done such a, a, a huge job in undermining the trust of a conservative government. And I just think the media is losing so much of its power. And I don't I don't think uh, that will happen this time around. All right, let's move on to the next story, because this is something that um, I've been reading a lot and it's, it's truly tragic. Uh, so this story is about a 26 year old uh, woman in Vancouver Island who is preparing for medically assisted death. So she's uh, apparently eligible for MAID. And uh, basically, she, she partially blames uh, Canada's healthcare system uh, for failing her. She has a malfunctioning immune system. I believe we have a clip. This is from City News over on Vancouver Island. Speaking with City News' Lisa Yuzda, Lana says sometime after her 27th birthday, at the end of the month, she will have a medically assisted death. I am unbelievably grateful I have this option because there's one other outcome if made weren't available for me and that's for me to take this into my own hands and do this alone. Lana says she wants to be clear that pursuing MAID isn't a choice, but a realization. It came in October as her pain, in part from a malfunctioning immune system, peaked. So it's incredibly sad and what, what a state of affairs in Canada where we have beautiful young women choosing to die and even just some of the language that are that's used in there saying it wasn't a choice, it was a realization. It sounds like kind of religiously cultish to me. I don't, I don't understand that. And that saying that if she wasn't able to use this government-assisted suicide program, we, you know, we euphemistically call it MAID, 
medical assistance in dying, but it's really a, a government suicide program. I, I think that is. I mean, you sign up, the government, you know, through the government, they give you drugs, you take them, or you go into your office and they give you a shot and it kills you. I mean, I don't know how to describe that in any way other than suicide. Um, but, she, she, you know, she says it's because she has um, this pain. And if, if it wasn't for this program, she would take life into her own hands. So she would kill herself. If, if it wasn't for this program, she would kill her. She says it's all right in the clip. So uh, before I get your reaction on this, I just want to tie it to uh, a news story and clip that happened in Ottawa. Uh, right around the same time, we had um, conservative MP Garnet Jenis asking a liberal government uh, about, uh, you know, they're having a conversation about this program, medical assistance and dying. And he asks them, uh, wh uh, you know, how the government intends to exclude people who um, are suicidal or mentally ill. Anyway, let, let's, let's play this clip and then I'll get both of your reaction to both stories. Question. And comments, uh, the Honourable Member for Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I, I have a question for the government about their, their so-called made policy. Now, they've said repeatedly that, especially as it relates to mental health challenges, their made policy would aim to exclude those who are suicidal. But I want to understand from the government, isn't any person who requests made suicidal simply by definition, since they're requesting made? The Honourable Parliamentary Secretary. Your very important question. I think it's irresponsible and untrue, honestly, to claim that MAID has anything to do with suicide. The Government of Canada recognizes the importance of all Canadians to have access to critical mental health resources and suicide prevention services. I am a member of the Special uh, aid, uh, MAID Committee, and not one witness that I heard when I was there said that this is suicidal. So it's hypocritical and untrue to say that the government program that kills people has anything to do with suicide. Um, okay. Can someone explain it to me? Andrew, can you can you maybe help, help me understand this? <laughs> How can I? No, I, you can't explain the inexplicable. By the way, I love that our like lighthearted weekend show has been like okay. fentanyl overdoses, porn, and made today. So Sorry, guys. let's just like throw in a segment about a Holocaust remembrance and really chipper everyone up for the weekend. But uh, the no, it's a serious issue. And, you know, it's one that I, I've talked about on my show a lot, just given my own personal experience with, with mental illness. And uh, when the government expands the criteria as it's doing and is still committed to doing to include mental illness, of which uh, the desire to end your life is oftentimes a, a fatal symptom, you can't say that it has nothing to do with suicide, because all of a sudden, in those cases, the desire to end your life is, in fact, a symptom that the government is trying to treat with ending your life. Um, and, and there's a reason we used to call this assisted suicide, because it is taking your own life with assistance. The only reason they call it made is because that was a euphemism that was, uh, pardon the pun, made to uh, make it sound better and more palatable to people. So to turn around and say, oh, they're, they're nothing, to, nothing to do with it. No, uh, taking your own life has nothing to do with uh, taking your own life. Yeah, I, I think the, the idea of this medicalization of suicide, I think, is is is, is yeah. where we've gotten to, and it, and it's it's trying to say, well, it's not this this gross, icky suicide thing. It's this other thing. It's just a procedure like anything else. And you know, this, this case of someone with terrible pain, that's sort of the poster child of what we were all told that made was for. The the really crazy thing isn't isn't that story in BC. It's some of the other stories in BC. Mm -hmm where the medical establishment now pushes as an option. So there's this terrible story from, I think just before Christmas, where this a woman got some form of cancer in British Columbia 
and she couldn't get treatment. You know, the wait lists because the cancer care in BC is, 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 is a travesty. She couldn't get treatment. And she was said, they said, well, you're not going to, be able to get treatment in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, why don't we schedule you in for MAID instead? So it, it, it wasn't, you know, your pain's unbearable. You come to the logical decision that the ending your life is the best for you. It's the healthcare system is breaking down under the weight of its own, of its own problems. So therefore, you should, uh, why don't you just, uh, you know, end your life? So she ended up going to the United States paying a whole bunch of money personally, got cancer treatment, is now cancer-free, which is a fantastic outcome. And she's back in, in, in BC, cancer-free, and she gets a phone call saying, so when do you want to schedule your maid treatment? They still had her down for being on the list. She's like, no, I don't need that anymore. I got fixed. And that's what I think is really, really, really dangerous is this is is it's now being pushed as another method. The outcome of medicalizing suicide is it's now being used as another outcome for uh, you're, uh, uh, as part of a, a medical, you know, a plan. Well, we're going to try this treatment or this treatment, or then we'll try made. And I think that's dangerous, disgusting, and and a real, real problem. That's what, where we really have to draw the line. Well, again, it comes down to like, what kind of society do we want? Do we want a society where the government is pushing death, and you get like calls from the state saying, "Are you ready to die now? We, we've got we've got a spot for you. Uh, come on down." I think there's a similar story to the one you described, Hamish, out of Montreal, and it was like the story of a of a a, a Paralympic hero and a star who uh, needed a new wheelchair and she couldn't get one, and she made an offhand complaint saying, "You know, it it's it's hard for me to live without a, a, a new wheelchair." You know, I don't know how much a wheelchair costs, 800 bucks, and the Canadian government wouldn't, wouldn't hand one over. And so instead of getting her a wheelchair and giving her the respect she needs, uh, they offered her to kill herself again. And we don't, we don't even use the word kill. Like everything about medical assistance and dying, every single word in that phrase is a euphemism because it's, it's not dying, it's killing. The government is killing you. And calling it medical assistance in, it's like, no, it's state-sponsored state killing. That's 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 what it is. Um, bizarre that the liberals, it's like it's like you know the typical kind of Orwellian thing where they're just changing the language so much that they've confused themselves and they don't even know what they're talking about anymore. And it's offensive that you would even suggest that it means the original thing that the words meant. I mean, there's just so many things about this program that I feel like we haven't thoroughly discussed as a society. So I give the conservatives again credit for bringing this up and and continuing the conversation and. Hopefully, you know, the, the, the government trying to extend this program so far so that it includes people with mental illnesses, it includes minors and children, uh, th it'll come to a point where it'll become like the transing of the kids thing where the, 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 the topics, the debate is like shoved in our face so much that we realize what's happening. Yeah. We realize that it's not the kind of society we want to live in and more and more people uh, and more and more people oppose it. Andrew, did you have any more thoughts on this one? No, I, I think that's it's one of these issues, though, that's a, a very big crossover issue for a lot of people. It, it's I mean, euthanasia assisted suicide have traditionally been the domain of social conservatives. But this one has uh, people sharing discomfort with the status quo uh, in many, many different sections. And it's kind of like parental rights in that it's one of those things that may have its roots in a voting niche, but actually is a pretty broadly appealing policy. So I, I think it's politically wise, but I would just say morally right to take aim at this. Well, Andrew, you you listed all the topics that we were talking about on this uh, Friday afternoon lighthearted show. Uh, we're not going to talk about Holocaust survivors, but but the the, the liberal uh, liberal journalist in Ottawa did accuse conservatives of being anti-Semitic and using an anti-Semitic 
dog whistle. So I, I didn't want to ask you you guys about this uh, tweet and this story because it seems to me that so, so just a background, Dale Smith, who's a freelance journalist, uh, he quote tweeted a conservative uh, MP and basically said once again, the quote, UEF globalists, unquote, is an anti-Semitic dog whistle, and the conservatives keep using it and acting surprised at the rise of anti-Semitism. So this is mainstream media journalism here. Um, and basically the implication is if you criticize the WEF and globalists, it's actually because you hate Jews. Um, and that's that's what they say with a straight face. They accuse conservatives hating Jews. And not only that, but that conservatives opposing the WF is somehow the real reason behind the rise of anti-Semitism, which is kind of like yeah. an enormous it's not, statement. Yeah, it's not the October 7th attacks that triggered anti-Semitism. It was uh, me covering Davos. That, yeah, was the, exactly. that was the real cause. <laughs> nothing nothing to do with Israel, all because yeah. of Andrew Lawton's coverage. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost laughable. I don't even want to cover it because it's so stupid, but it's, 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 it's actually surprising that this is yeah. what they're still putting out in February 2024, Andrew. Yeah, it, it's not as bad as when Yara Sachs said that Honk Honk meant Heil Hitler. Like it's not quite that level, but we're we're getting there. We're we're getting there. When you talk about you know the World Economic Forum and uh, globalism, uh, which all have meanings that have nothing to do with Jews, uh, that is uh, supposedly anti-Semitism. I mean, look, it, the one good thing is that if, if people think that, it might actually cause them to criticize anti-Semitism, which they've been uh, pretty silent on. A lot of the people that believe this nonsense. Yeah, I, I would say, look, what I really object to is this term dog whistle. When, when somebody uses dog whistle, it's, it's saying that they believe in conspiracy theories. <laughs> like, I've spent my entire adult life being involved in political communications. Getting your message across with a megaphone and spending millions of dollars in advertising is hard. The idea that with a few slightly slight hidden word choices, you can communicate secret messages to large numbers of people who are waiting and listening for these triggers is like it is the realm of conspiracy theory. That's not how the world works. Like politicians are direct because they have to be direct because otherwise people don't know what the hell they're saying. So like the idea that, yeah. that this is a way of somehow spreading uh, secret messages is is totally is total lunacy right you know when, when we worry about anti-semitism we should worry about the the people marching up and down on the streets of toronto uh you know calling for uh for jews to be hurt and for people to be uh to be kicked out of their jobs for supporting israel and everything else that that like but this the whole idea that there's these secret dog whistles is just reflects a fundamentally unserious view of how the world actually works and yet these journalists take themselves so seriously and they think that they're really exposing something true here, that 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 the real anti-Semites are somehow the conservatives, despite, uh, you know, to your point, you know, conservatives are the clearest on their support for Israel. It's the other two parties that have a very murky uh, position. And no, I like it. Uh, anyone who uses the word dog whistle, that is a dog whistle for conspiracy theorists. So, right. so I, 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 I believe if, if someone uses a dog whistle, I now just call them out and say that's a conspiracy theory. Well, I'll, I'll follow up with you, Hamish, on that 
uh, kind of line of reasoning because it, it seems like certainly this happened to Harper. It happened to Andrew Scheer to a lesser extent, uh, Aaron Tolbert, it still happened to him that as, as soon as it was like general election time, the media just like came out with all the conspiracy theories. Like this is what the conservatives are doing. This hidden agenda, secret agenda. They're bigots. They're homophobes. Here, here it comes. Do, do you think they're just going to use the same playbook? Like, do you see that coming for Pierre Polyev? I mean, obviously we see the weird Trump comparisons that we talked about this on the show uh, before that it's it's so weird to compare Pierre Polyev to Donald Trump because they're such totally different political figures. Uh, but but do you, do you think that's coming or do you think the media has kind of learned that doesn't really work? Or, or... No, it's all coming. They've learned okay. nothing. And liberals have learned nothing on this. You know, it's 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 what what did Talleyrand say about the Bourbons? If they've they've learned nothing and forgotten nothing, it's all the same. Everything they believe. This is their whole worldview that the conservatives have this hidden agenda. They're all secretly, you know, members of the RNC or something. And it's it's all coming. They're going to say all the same things that they say every other time, and then they will be mystified when it doesn't work, and then they will try to blame the fact that it didn't work on Canadians being tricked, on uh, institute that, you know, there was some electoral fraud. We wait for it. It's all coming. And uh, that's what we have. That's what we'll, that's what we'll spend 2025. Uh, you know, after, you know, you know, sh should conservatives win the next election, I look forward to the hang hang ring hand wringing panels in CBC's dying days about, you know, what this, you know, how Canadians were actually tricked into voting conservative. Well, people forget that the, you know, the first election deniers were, uh, well, I mean, I don't know if they were the first, but there were a very prominent group of election deniers. And it was in Canada after the 2011 election where they invented a story that it was somehow robocalls that had uh, completely fooled the public into not voting. And that was the only reason that Stephen Harper was our prime minister. And it was like a you know, two-year conspiracy theory that led to hundreds of news stories, I think news awards and journalism awards uh, that, that that basically let us nowhere. So, Right. I, we saw the same, the same thing in the UK after Brexit. All the, the Facebook hacking, all that stuff, you know, it's all been proven to be uh, massively uh, overstated or in some cases not true. And but that's the only way they could explain that the British people would want to be out of a, a malignant super state. Andrew, any thoughts on this? Any final final thoughts on this? I, just that the conspiracy theorists, the real conspiracy theorists, are the ones who spend all day accusing everyone else of being a conspiracy theorist. And I think that's the, the whole point. And, and you look at people like this that we were just talking about it. it. It's the same sort of thing where the amount of the amount of conspiratorialization that they need to have in their mind to think that everyone else is doing it is just massive. Right. Right. No, absolutely. All right. I have one final story that I want to talk about just because it's so deliciously ironic. And, you know, we usually cover Canadian stuff. This is an American story and it's, it's about Donald Trump. So basically, I, I don't know if people have been following it too closely, but Donald Trump recently uh, lost a $354 million civil case where they basically accused him of inflating his assets in order to get bank loans and he used those bank loans to buy real estate deals uh, basically the banks gave him the loans and and he was still in good standing with the banks like he paid back the loans so I I have a really hard time wrapping my head around how this was a crime but anyway uh, basically he, he got found guilty and I think that this is uh, caused a chill in the New York kind of banking and commercial real estate community because this is what, kind of what they all do right and so the governor of New York uh, was trying to basically allay the concerns of investors. Uh, she went on a radio station and just assured uh, the New York business community that, no, no, don't worry. Uh, this was specific to Trump. Uh, you don't have to worry about doing this kind of thing. 
because uh, this was just about Trump, basically, um, and saying, you know, that the, the radio host said, you know, if they can do this to a former president, can't they do this to anyone? And Governor Hochul was like, no, no, don't worry. Trump was a special circumstance, which I think, you know, does exactly uh, what, what, what Trump is accusing them of, which is basically leading a witch hunt and uh, applying the rules separately. So I think this is just one of those scenarios where people who are so into the political realm of like, Trump is evil. Everything we do against Trump is justified, and everything that, like, everything we get him on is a victory. But they, they, they miss it. You take a step back, and it's like how this impacts just how regular people view the world, and how regular people say, like, well, wait a minute, this this kind of shows like a corrupted system where rules aren't really applied evenly. I I, I just thought this was a wild a wild story. Um, so I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. Hamish, what do you think? Well, and, it, and, it, and it, it does exactly what presumably she wants not to happen, which is it helps Trump. It's now a, pr- a proof point that he can say this is all politically motivated. They're using trumped up trumped up charges to uh, to, 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 to try to make stop me from running for president, et cetera, et cetera. Like they, he, they've, and he will now use that quote and say it applies to any and all the prosecutions that has to do with him, whether it does or not. And so she's any victory that, that anybody thinks they had over him by winning this suit is completely null and void because he's now got proof that he can run around saying that of course they're, they're bending the laws to go after me and that they're, they're, you know, the deep state, everything else he wants to talk about. Uh, and it's proof of that. And uh, so she's undone any good that she, that she thought that had been achieved by this. It's unbelievable. Andrew, final final thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I just take the view here that you know the whole system is terrified of him winning, which is why they go through all of these steps and processes to prevent it. Because if they were sure that, you know, Joe Biden could somehow uh, find his way to a podium and become inaugurated on or re-inaugurated, then they would need to do all this stuff because they know that Trump will lose the election. He'll be a two-time loser. Biden wins and, and that's it. So you see instead very, very dirty tricks. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in never give your opponent martyrdom. Never give your opponent martyrdom. Don't give them an opportunity to get up and claim. Don't give them, don't give them evidence in support of their primary claim against you. And, and that's the thing that Hamish said. I mean, there, I, I, I've been clear. I mean, I, I think that Trump was a vastly better candidate than uh, Hillary Clinton. I think he was a vastly better candidate than Joe Biden. Wouldn't have been my first choice under any normal circumstances for, for president. But uh, the thing is, is that you, you can't deny he has been targeted by the system and targeted by the state. And I think that what's fascinating here, like just completely and utterly fascinating, is that they just completely hand ammunition to him by doing what he's accused them of doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he couldn't have written it any better. I mean, when I saw that headline and I heard what Kathy Ockel said on radio, it's like, you just you just want him to win. Like part of you must just want Trump to win so that you can like, you know, jack up your political yeah. ratings and your TV ratings. It, yeah, and all yeah. It's, it's, he's the embodiment of that old line about you show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Like we we've decided he's the bad guy, so uh, let's just what what can we do? Oh yeah, let's try this one. This will this will work. It's it's really it's really entertaining. Uh, we've got got a lot of uh, good content uh, in the year to come with the election season. So we we won't talk about it too much because we like to focus on Canadian stuff. But every once in a while, it's just too interesting and juicy uh not to cover well hamish marshall thank you so much uh for joining us andrew lawton uh, always a pleasure and thank you to the audience for tuning in remember everything that you just heard is off the record thank you so much have a great weekend
Did we actually forget viewer comments again? Oh yeah, shoot. <laughs> they were in the dog. Like the word we we keep like this is like the segment we have done like one out of four episodes, but we uh, keep telling people we're going to do it. We'll yeah, have to do a viewer comments only episode. Yeah, that way I won't forget. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gloria, I was I was sitting so still in my office for fifteen minutes straight that the motion detector didn't check movement and turned off the lights. Oh, I thought I thought maybe it was like when your kids ran up and turned off the lights and ran away or something. No, I just, I was just like not moving at all. I guess I move around more often than that. So. I, I had a, I was doing an interview at, at the conservative party headquarters on whatever street it's on now a while ago. And the big boardroom, like just shut down midway through the interview. Cause I guess we were too still. So yeah, we'd like find our way. To well, the I, was, I was out here sort of like waving my arm around off camera. Yeah, I, I saw, I was going to yeah. comment on it, but you were midway through a serious point. So I, <laughs> See, but we I, get to have the fun interjections on this show. So I'm I'm, I'm usually like a hand talker, so I'm usually just like bobbling around. Oh, it, it's, good, yeah. it actually affects my audio because like they always tell me like lean in and then I lean out and I lean in. You know what stuff. I actually think it is? It's because I've raised my laptop up and the detector for it is directly pointed at me normally, but the laptop is blocking that when it's raised up like this. Well, you, have, you have to do what JJ does and just sit on a bouncy ball and then. You... That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. <laughs> 